For a time, software was often viewed as a means of lowering the physical footprint of companies. Cloud computing, virtualization, and the creation of digital platforms for collaboration, product development, and even manufacturing all reduced physical infrastructure, the movement of goods, and travel, thereby cutting environmental impact. But the sheer computing intensity of business today is increasing exponentially. AI models are training on massive datasets. Blockchain can be highly energy intensive, as hundreds or even thousands of nodes in a decentralized network carry out and validate transactions by solving complex puzzles that, again, require lots of energy. Last year, Bitcoin consumed more electricity annually than the whole of Argentina. Software is, of course, essential to the green transition. It plays a useful role in everything from carbon emissions reporting to AI-powered optimization in energy systems. But in and of itself, software is something of an agnostic tool. Every aspect of software, from programming to user experience, can have positive or negative environmental consequences. Green software refers to all efforts to reduce the emissions of software by maximizing efficiency. My name is Adam Green. In the past, I've written on science and technology for publications including the Financial Times and the Economist Intelligence Unit. I'd like to welcome you to Sustainability Powered by Technology, an Accenture podcast produced with EI Studios, the custom division of Economist Impact, where we explore how technology and innovation are helping to enable a greener, more sustainable world. Today, to discuss the rise of green software and its implications for sustainable business, I'm delighted to be joined by Naveen Balani, Chief Technologist at the Technology Sustainability Innovation Group at Accenture. Welcome, Naveen. Thank you, Adam. Uh, glad to be part of this podcast. We're also thrilled to be joined by Ziliang Zong, Professor at the Computer Science Department at Texas State University and a leading authority on green software. Ziliang, welcome. Uh, hi, Adam. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, looking forward to our discussions. Let's start by setting the context. Um, Ziliang, what are some of the negative environmental implications of software and how can software itself be an environmental problem? Well, I think software is eating the world, right? So if um, you think about our daily life, so we're depending more and more on software. That means the computing, the networking, and the storage is growing rapidly, right? So does its uh, negative impact on the environment because every time we run something like that, and then it will have carbon emissions associated with it. Think about the uh, software before. So when we talk about the you know massive software, usually, if you look back like 20 years ago, something like that, so we usually mean just high-performance computing. But today, cloud computing, blockchain, AI, and even in the future, the metaverse, so they are uh, massive software systems. And then the other important thing to mention is the growth rate of the software has, especially for the AI, way beyond the Moore's law um, uh, growth rate. For example, you know the Moore's law is just doubled every 24 months, but the AI recently, it's doubling every three to four months in terms of computing demand. So with that being said, I think the software itself is becoming an environmental problem because it's increasing demand on the computing and energy and the carbon side. And when did you first start to get interested in this nexus of green software and the environment? Um, when did this come onto your radar and, and how much of an area of interest is it in the computer science field? I started to uh, research this problem since I was a, a PhD student, and my PhD dissertation was about how to uh, reduce the energy consumption of high-performance computing platforms. So at that time, like I mentioned, you know, so probably uh, this green software thing is in a very narrow community, in the high-performance computing community. 
But after that, we have seen the boom of the mobile phones and iPhone, Android phones, the mobile computing. And after that, we have seen the cloud computing, the blockchain, AI. And so that's like, I have been continuing working on that since 2005. Naveen, turning to you, what was your first exposure or interest in this uh, environmental implications issue around software? When did this come onto your radar? Sustainability is one of the core themes at Accenture. And uh, my background has been building innovative products and applying exponential technology and research to build high quality and optimize products. And what really excited me is embedding green software as part of our solutions and products would mean revisiting how we design, develop, and deploy applications to reduce the carbon emission and focus on creating energy efficient applications. Uh, So that implies new challenges, new innovations, new methodology, and at the same time, having a positive impact on the environment, not just for Accenture, but for our clients and our ecosystem. And have you seen it become more prominent as an issue in conversations with your clients recently in terms of the level of awareness about this problem? So in my view, green software still is a relatively new area. There is a lot to explore and experiment particularly around energy measurements and reduction and uh, build energy efficient applications, uh, be it cloud applications, AI models, mobile apps, uh, domain specific uh, energy efficient solutions, or maybe green uh, metaverse in future. Naveen, how much awareness is there in the business world, especially among CIOs and boards about software's environmental footprint? Yeah, that's a good question. So as part of uh, the Accenture recent survey, we asked companies whether they incorporate sustainability principles at various stages of software development lifecycle. These principles include building a sustainable strategy, establishing metrics for green software development, deploying tools and techniques to measure software carbon emissions, and improve energy consumptions uh, during runtime. And only two out of 560 companies we interviewed said they always take all these actions. And most companies uh, just take one or two. For instance, when it comes to green software, uh, many CIOs don't know how much electricity their IT systems consume because the electricity bill is managed by facilities. Similarly, many CIO managing uh, internal data centers or cloud infrastructures attributed to lack of standards and solutions for measurement, or the current technology is yet to mature. So this indicates uh, a huge room for improvement and and opportunities for CIO to develop holistic, sustainable IT strategies and work with the counterparts uh, to fully integrate the business technology and sustainability strategies. Ziliang, from your perspective, you've been working on this for a long time um, as a computer scientist. What's your impressions of the level of awareness about this issue among corporates, among CIOs in the mainstream? I think it's getting much better. So when I first worked on that like 17 years ago, so very few people talk about this. And then, um, you know, in the past, I would say uh, 15 years, and then the awareness of this issue is growing and then people are 
uh, caring about that more and more. So I think in the past five years, that was really the exciting years when more companies are joining and then it's no longer just academic problem. And I see companies are joining. I see the CEOs are aware of this uh, based on the Accenture report. So that's that's very, very good. So it's getting better. In your impression of so far of those conversations, are there any areas where perhaps there are misconceptions or misunderstanding about about what green software is and sort of concrete examples of it? I think there are two extreme sides of this, right? So some think that green software problem in a very optimistic way. So that means they kind of feel like we already know how to make green software. Uh, the reason for that is because they think green software is just a byproduct of the faster software. So if we can make our code run faster, automatically it will, will save energy, right? So they think that they already know that. So we don't have to study green software as an individual topic. We can just you know, do the performance optimization on that. So this has been largely true in before because if the hardware power consumption does not change, so then it's directly linear to the performance of the code, the runtime of the code. If you can make your code run faster, of course, your energy will drop. But now power consumption with the hardware is changing, right? So when you run your code on multiple cores and then the power budget will be different when you run one core versus like 16 cores. So the power set has been changing. The other important thing is that we are no longer in the kind of like the homogeneous hardware. So we have all kinds of hardware, right? So now we are going to the heterogeneous hardware. So we have ASIC, we have IPG, we have GPU, we have multi-cores. You know, we have the small cores and big cores, something like that. So it's very heterogeneous. So that means the power side of the hardware is no longer a consistent factor. So that actually varies. So that means the green software needs to be uh, studied a little bit more than just the performance optimization. The other thing what I see is a common misconception is that companies think that we can fix the software later. If we don't know how to do the green software now, so don't worry about that. So you can just get your functionalities available. So get the job done, get the software released, and then we can fix that later. But for the legacy code, once you build the ecosystem, you build the system, then the code becomes legacy code. The cost is very, very high if you want to fix the green side of the software. So a very good example would be the, the Bitcoin or something like that. So now we all know the, the proof of work is not efficient on that, but because the Bitcoin, that one has grown to such a big ecosystem, now if you want to fix that from the beginning, it's almost impossible at this moment. So that's actually have some insights for our future software design, right? So like uh, the, the metaverse, so we are actually trying to do develop the metaverse for the future, it's a good time to think about how do we actually build the metaverse from the first place, right? How do we actually reduce the carbon emissions of that? Other than we build a giant kind of like a metaverse ecosystem. Now we try to fix that. That would be too late once the ecosystem is there because the cost is simply too high. So the other thing I see a common misconception is when we talk about the green software, people tend to treat this as an individual objective. However, in reality, in practice, you know, I think the green software design should be considered as co-objective with other objectives. For example, speaking about AI, if we want to talk to, to do the green AI, we cannot just say, okay, let's make the AI as green as possible on that. But, you know, AI has the quality issue, AI has the performance issue and other issues. So we have to think about all these objectives and then derive, a, a, you know, solution, kind of like trade-off solution for that. So that's on the other side, kind of too optimistic, we already know. Actually, there are a lot of things we don't know. So the, the other group actually feel like, you know, this is a very pessimistic party, that, like a group. They think about, okay, so green software, we don't have the tools, we don't have the theory, and then we don't have the standards, so nothing is there, so we can't do that today. 
So it's too hard for us to do. We don't know where to get started. And then, so that's, I think, too um, pessimistic, right? So the misconception. I think we can do a lot right now. So I think the industry and academia and government, they're all moving towards the right direction. If we could work together on this, I think we can, this is a goal that can be achieved. What are some of the emerging best practices that you've seen from companies that are doing this really well, uh, this, this green software strategy? Are there any principles that uh, would be good to, to disseminate or, or be adapted more widely? Yeah, I, I see a couple, right? So I think all the software companies right now know very well about how to optimize the performance. I would say keep doing that because if you can make your code run faster, uh, you actually automatically contribute to the green software, right, as part of that. The other thing would be, I would, or the strategy would remove the unnecessary functionalities of your software. So you may want to check your software to see how many functionalities are actually being used. And then is there any functionality actually just sitting there and then uh, consuming the, the CPU resource and the memory resources, but uh, very few uh, users or, you know, are using that. So this is kind of a waste of resources. Um, so the other thing I would say is uh, if you could do the power management when possible and then know the power categories of your software. So that can help you leverage the efficiency from the hardware side. The other thing I would say, like when you actually develop a new software, like I mentioned before, you want to think about the green design from the beginning uh, rather than it, it gets too late. Also, other things, I think uh, the Green Software Foundation already gave the good suggestion about the common aware scheduling on that. And then if you're running software in the cloud, try to avoid over-provision and waste because if you actually don't need a very large VM size and then don't request that much so that you're um, reducing the waste in the cloud. Naveen, turning to you, what are some of the main focus areas that you are seeing in the business community in terms of green software development? And, and how much does Ziliang's comments resonate with your experience in terms of this continuum from sort of over-optimism to, to over-pessimism and, and trying to find some space in the middle? See, every major organization is now working towards uh, some strategy or have some commitments uh, for their net zero targets. For instance, around 30% of uh, 2,000 largest public-rated companies in the world have pledges to become net zero companies. And uh, sustainability is now mainstream. And... Uh, one of the way to address this primarily from an IT perspective, right, is to uh, decarbonize the IT footprint, reduce carbon emissions, and definitely adapt uh, green software. Because this helps natively in carbon reduction, uh, gives you a baseline, rather than directly start with uh, neutralization by buying carbon offsets. And uh, when we talk about green software in particular, we are looking at this space holistically and identifying areas where there are energy reduction opportunities. And at Accenture, we have created a framework and have broken down into seven material impact areas. Zilin talked about the principles uh, for green software development. We have, we think we have to look at the green software space holistically. And we basically look at starting with the uh, green software development lifecycle. For instance, uh, what kind of SDLC practices uh, an organization needs to follow specifically for green software development, for instance, the choice of architecture decisions you are making, the choice of programming language, uh, whether you're creating optimized code, and how do you measure right the carbon footprint as part of your DevOps process. And uh, we have similar areas uh, in green user experiences where you look at how you can build energy-efficient UI applications, uh, be it for mobile, AR, VR, or in future, metaverse, for instance, 
how can you create uh, 3d models virtual worlds choice of color palettes uh, and simplified user journey the third focus is around green ai uh, where uh, organizations can look at how they can build uh, ai applications in a way so that it consumes uh, less power uh, and if you look at a typical ai process model it has a series of steps from data acquisition data cleansing building data pipelines training iteratively doing test and deployment and at each stage uh, you can make certain decisions with respect to energy efficiency uh, for instance how can you create uh, sustainable data pipelines choice of ml frameworks and approaches like transfer learning and ml ops process uh, so zilin also uh, touched upon blockchain and uh, this is the area of concern because we need to look at how we can design and develop uh, energy efficient blockchain applications for instance uh, using the right uh, set of consensus algorithm things like using proof of stake especially with the whole thing around metaverse and digital currencies and nfts this becomes an important area for us to keep a tab uh, in future and some principles around green data life cycle where how can you have from a data perspective right the research states that around 70 to 90% of the data is not used for any meaningful insights we have to look at the green data space holistically find out what data is important data relevancy choice of storage uh, all has an impact on uh, carbon emissions the principles next principles around green cloud data centers definitely migrating to public cloud helps but then you have to inherently build sustainable cloud applications taking into account uh, various uh, green cloud region whether it's vm optimizations or choice of uh, serverless architectures all needs to be taken into considerations and finally we have infrastructure that needs to be looked at holistically because all the supporting infrastructure whether it's mobile phones networks all drives the execution of software how can you basically reduce the embodied carbon increase the lifespan of devices and so on and all these information with, with which i talked about uh, from a strategy perspective is covered as in part of our sustainability thought leadership report this stuff is obviously very technical do you think that companies have the skill sets and expertise to properly understand and tackle it is this an area where there's enough awareness out there in the in the market and do, do companies existing tech teams um, have the capacity to do all of this or does it require um, outside partners or, or, or new talent? Um, and Naveen, maybe we can start with you on that. From a green software perspective, it's a relatively new area. From a skills perspective, we need to have the right skill sets, uh, for instance, creating an energy efficient application. If you look at the current landscape, right, what, what does that imply is how do you choose between energy efficient programming languages? for instance rust is one of i think second or third best uh, energy efficient languages so do we have enough skill sets to start designing applications in rust language uh, similarly when it comes to skill sets around uh, cloud optimization and how do you create sustainable cloud applications for instance uh, what kind of virtual machine should i use for my deployment based on workloads or what kind of data structure or data storage should i use from an energy efficient perspective all the skills i would say be it software programming be it architecture uh, or be it devops right how do you create energy efficient pipelines all needs to be looked at from a green software perspective and definitely 
I would say we are the current phase where uh, people are uh, getting aware of green software concepts and principles. And these principles uh, needs to be embedded as part of their daily skills so that they could be experts in this area. And when it comes to consortiums like Green Software Foundation, we need more foundations like the Green Software Foundation, which basically provides awareness on this topic, provides specifications like the software carbon intensity, uh, which helps a practical way to measure the carbon emission of any software application. And at the same time, has a lot of innovations through open source uh, projects, which helps you to find out, okay, how do I measure? What kind of data is available for energy measurements? Uh, what kind of tools exist from a carbon aware perspective? So collectively, I think from awareness as well as through foundations like Green Software Foundation, we could definitely uh, bridge the skill gap. Naveen, you mentioned the Green Software Foundation, of which I understand Accenture was a founding member. Tell us a bit more about the origination of that and what the goals were and the status of it today. Green Software Foundation was formed uh, last year where Accenture was one of the founding members. And the intent was to promote green software development through uh, specification principles and basically creating a collective intelligence environment where we could uh, promote green software development, whether it's awareness, whether it's innovation at scale. And as part of the Green Software Foundation, we look at primarily four work streams. The first work streams is around standards. The standards uh, working group uh, basically looks at creating new standards for software measurement. And one of the standards that got uh, released uh, in December last year was software carbon intensity which is the first uh, industry-led consensus-based specification that can be applied to any software to measure and reduce its carbon emission. And what is different about SCI, it talks about reduction and uh, not offsets, which is a key difference. And the SCI score uh, can be reduced by three key factors. For instance, uh, creating energy-efficient application, using less hardware for the same amount of work, or being carbon aware. So it promotes how do you reduce the carbon footprint of an application. Uh, the second work group that uh, GSF hosts is the open source working group. And as part of specification, we have realized that we need to realize the specification. We need a lot of things to get done. For instance, how do you get the data for uh, energy measurements? So we have a project called SCI Open Data. It basically deals with how can you make this data available to public. We have innovations like Carbon Aware SDK, which provides when and where to run your workloads, so to leverage clean energy. We have innovations like SCI Open Ontology, which provides how can you define the software boundary. So a lot of innovations and open innovations are happening in this area. The third work group is around the community, which is responsible for events, blog and the recently conducted GSF summit. And we're also looking at uh, certifications on uh, green software certification and how we can provide software principles, uh, energy aware principles, and also have a certification created uh, where we can uh, train green software professionals and make them experts. And the fourth work group is around policy, which works around making sure, right, how do we uh, collaborate and connect with other third party. 
Ziliang, what impact do you think the Green Software Foundation and this development of standards and benchmarks could have on adoption of green software across industries? Do you see this as a significant step? Yeah, definitely. So I think GSF will make significant contributions in the next decade or even longer on that. I think the most important contribution would be put people together. And then we put in collaborative efforts from industry and academia to develop the tools that the community needs to develop the standards that can evaluate various software. So we're on the same board. We're talking about the same, la- same language, right? We're using same terminology on that. This is very important because if we're all talking different languages, something we cannot agree on a, on a standard or metrics, then there's no way we can move forward because everybody's talking about their own story. I think that's very, very important. And then the other important thing, I think, is the communication. Like uh, Naveen just mentioned that we have the communication working group on that. So we need to get this message out to the public, to the audience, just get this message out of the software community to the software users. I think if you think about the community of the software, it's still very small compared with the how many users are using all kinds of software, right? So we want to encourage the software developers to do a company-aware design on their software. But also, on the other hand, very importantly, we want to encourage the users to do company-aware usage. I think this is very important because I see in the next 10 years or something, we'll have more and more renewable energy to be integrated into the electricity grid. And then that will be very important if the, if the user change their usage behavior that will enforce the efforts from the software developer side, then the software companies will be more incentivized to do this because the users is changing their user patterns. So the software would, a company would have to change accordingly. That's why I think the impact will be huge. So right now, the Green Software Foundation just released the software carbon intensity specification. I think that's a, a very important first step to move forward. Great. Um, and a final question for both of you. Um, how can green software become the new way of working or, or the new normal? I think the, the Green Software Foundation and these standards, as you mentioned, that provides the, the foundation for this. But what else do you think would be required to make this a mainstream consideration, not just for people who are experts in this domain, but for CEOs for CIOs, CTOs, and for boards to understand this and to make it part of how they think and, and to encourage that awareness. Ziliang, maybe we can start with you. Right. So I would say the first thing would be increase the awareness of the environmental impact of software just within the software community. I think this one is important for two reasons. Number one, I see the great potential from the software developer itself. For example, I'm teaching green computing courses, right? So I'm training basically the students in the CS major. They are the next generation of software developers. So when I actually um, provide this awareness issue to the students, providing them the tools, give them a little bit of help about, you know, how can you make uh, your software greener on that? So their capability is beyond my expectation. So they just don't know about this before. And then once they know about this, they know the impact of that. Is. Uh, so the young generation, they are very um, enthusiastic to make a positive impact on the climate. It's just like when they are not taught in the curriculum, they don't know about this issue, so they don't know how to improve on that. Uh, The unimportant thing, I think, is the awareness. Once we incentivize the software developers to do this, and then maybe we'll actually inspire other users to do this, because when the user sees the availability of some of the functionalities, on that, they will actually do this. A good example will be the Google Map. I'm not sure if you you, you see the Google Map on that. Now, when you uh, you know try to travel from point A to point B, they tell you this is the most efficient way to do that, right? So when the user sees that, so that changes from the software side, right? But when 
that functionality is available to the users. Now the user is educated to see, oh, I can do this, I can do that. So I think this kind of like an interaction between the software community and the software users will be very important for making the green software the norm or the business as a usual because we are connected. Naveen, what are your thoughts about the key steps to, to make green software the norm across the business world? We need to include uh, green software as a first-class citizen, similar to, let's say, security or performance of any application. And uh, for this to happen, we need awareness of uh, green software development, methodology and tools which would make it easier to measure and report carbon emissions, and at the same time can be integrated seamlessly across the software stack. And finally, a set of tangible actions for reducing the carbon footprint of any application. So organizations can easily quantify carbon emission reductions. And as software practitioners, I think we all have a collective uh, responsibility to adapt green software development, build energy efficient applications and uh, play a part towards a greener environment. Thank you very much, Naveen. Well, thanks to you both. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, it's really opened my mind to the potential and the pitfalls of, of green software. And uh, great to see such progress and development in this field. Thank you as well to our listeners for spending the time with us. I'd encourage you to take a look at Accenture's report, Uniting Technology and Sustainability, which we touched on earlier. This highlights the role that the CIOs are playing in driving business value and ESG performance and reducing the negative impacts of technology. As always, you can find links to this in the show notes. Get involved with the Green Software Foundation by visiting https colon forward slash forward slash greensoftware.foundation forward slash. Join us next time when we'll be discussing the related topic of the green metaverse. This podcast is produced by EI Studios, the custom content division of Economist Impact.